What's happening, food eaters? This is Mel Weinstein, host of the Food Labels Revealed podcast and the self-professed prophet of processed foods. Welcome to episode number 46, the last one of 2019. This is another show dedicated to news stories about processed foods and trends. The food industry never stays static, so you and I have to stay on our toes to be aware of the changes that are constantly happening. In this episode, I'll discuss the following. 1. The evolution of a very old product that your great-grandma probably used. 2. How scientists can observe the effects of junk food even at the cellular level. 3. The missing nutrient from our diet that undermines our health. And four, how fast food can get even more unhealthier than it already is. For newcomers to the podcast, here's some information about me. I have a 30-plus year background in chemistry education, food testing, and food chemical research. And for much of that time, I've had a fascination Some may call it a brain fixation with processed foods, what's in those foods, and how they may be affecting our health. I look behind the commercial food curtain at all of those strange, hard to pronounce, and sometimes dangerous ingredients that wind up in many of the foods stocked on grocery store shelves. This is a 100% free, play-at-any-time radio program. Ban those thoughts about sending me money. This podcast has no sponsors, financial supporters, or Kickstarter campaigns. All the opinions expressed in this podcast are mine, and to keep it that way, I don't work with any business, commercial product, or sponsoring organization. Website and contact information will be provided at the end of the show. All right, let's open the FLR newspaper. Every once in a while, it's interesting to see what's happening in the processed food industry. I subscribe to a news feed, which sends me hundreds of links to online articles each week. After sifting through that thick, paperless pile, I select some articles for the Facebook page and others for this podcast. If you haven't been to the Facebook page, search under the name Food Labels Revealed Podcast. There you can like the page, and then you should start seeing the post I put up a few times per week in your news feed. Here are the news topics I've selected for today's show. 1. Crisco, the untold tale. 2. Cellular impact of junk food. Three, make room for fake fiber. And finally, four, fast food fusion. First off, let's talk about Crisco. I recently came across an article entitled, How Crisco Toppled Lard and Made Americans Believers in Industrial Food. An interesting title, to say the least. If you're of an age like me, you probably remember an ever-present can of Crisco sitting on a kitchen counter or in a cabinet. It was a go-to product for any bakery good requiring a solid slab of fat or shortening. I remember my mother using it in the 50s for all kinds of things. Of course, I never knew what was in that greasy stuff because I had zero interest in food ingredients back then. Later on, I realized that Crisco was a shelf-stable substitute for bacon fat. That was the old go-to product from the past. Unbelievably, Crisco is still around today, although you wouldn't find it in my house. Back to the article, it mentions that Crisco was invented over a century ago. Actually, it was 1911. It was made from one thing, cotton seeds. 
In those days, cotton seeds were considered the waste product left over after cotton fiber was removed by a cotton gin. The oil from the seeds was dark and smelly, so there was no commercial use for them. Then, in the late 19th century, a chemist by the name of David Wesson, sound familiar, figured out how to decolorize and deodorize cottonseed oil to produce a clear, tasteless, and neutral-smelling product. After that discovery, cottonseeds found a place in American commerce where the extracted oil was sold as a liquid or a solid, if mixed with animal fats. Cheap, solid shortenings were sold in pails, which resembled lard or pig fat. This new product was cheaper than lard and supplanted it in the baking industry and for home cooking. Most Americans at that time didn't associate the cottonseed oil with a non-edible plant. Think about it. Industrial oils today, for the most part, come from edible plants like corn, soy, olives, and canola. When Crisco came along, a fairly new process was utilized by Procter & Gamble to do away with the animal fat. The process was and is still called hydrogenation, where a liquid vegetable oil was converted to a solid fat using a chemical reaction involving hydrogen gas and a metal catalyst. Another name for the process is hardening. P&G was not interested in promoting the Crisco product as derived from cottonseeds, so they advertised it as made from vegetable oil. Apparently, by 1911, cottonseed oil had gotten a bad reputation as a cheap material to replace more expensive oils. The marketing department for P&G focused on brand reliability and the purity of factory-made goods. Crisco became a bestseller because it had no smell, it was kosher, and in addition to its use in baking, it could be used for frying foods. From the article, quote, Crisco helped convince Americans that they didn't need to understand the ingredients and processed foods as long as those foods came from a trusted brand, end quote. By the way, the name Crisco comes from the phrase crystallized cotton seed oil, crystallized cotton seed oil. Think about that for a second. Just for the fun of it, let's look at the modern version of Crisco. It's not made from cottonseed oil anymore. A new crop displaced it, soybeans. Looking at the Crisco ingredients label, we see the following ingredients. Soybean oil, fully hydrogenated palm and soybean oils, mono and diglycerides, TBHQ, and citric acid. So, it looks like Crisco is now a blend of liquid vegetable oil and hardened oils to give a solid white product. The mono and diglycerides are in the Crisco to act as emulsifiers and stabilizers. The TBHQ, note that all we see on the label is an acronym, stands for tertiary butyl hydroquinone. It's an antioxidant to keep the oil from going rancid. Also, the last ingredient citric acid serves as a preservative as well. The nutrition label for Crisco is very simple. One serving equals one tablespoon equals 12 grams equals 12 grams of fat. This product is 100% fat. About one-fourth of a serving is saturated fat. A single serving is 110 calories, all from fat. 
Now, if you take 12 grams and multiply by 9 calories per gram for the fat, you get 108 calories, which is very close to what's printed on the label. There are no trans fats in the, in the product, or, or so the label says. Note that the Federal Food and Drug Administration does allow up to half a gram of trans fat per serving, even with a claim of zero trans fat on the label. The trans fat controversy can be a bit confusing. If a product claims that the oils used are 100% hydrogenated, then trans fats will not be formed. It's only when an ingredient label states that oils are partially hydrogenated that trans fats are definitely present. Moving on to the second article. From the Daily Mail out of the United Kingdom comes a story entitled Junk Foods Immediate Impact on Your Cells. Let's talk heart disease here. Most people know that heart attacks occur due to hardening of the arteries, which is also called atherosclerosis. Plaques build up in the walls of coronary arteries, become unstable, and break off to form clots. Food plays an intimate role in this process. Studies on rodents at the University of Illinois showed the effect of diet on arteriosclerosis. Now, there's a caveat here, though. Uh, Note that the results from studies on rodents or any other animals, for that matter, don't always translate over to humans. Irrespective of that, this was a two-part study. And more importantly, in the second part, cultured human endothelial cells were used. Endothelial cells are located on the outer walls of arteries and are responsible for keeping arteries supple. The researchers fed mice either a normal, well-balanced diet or the equivalent of a typical fast food diet rich in LDL cholesterol and oxidized LDL, both of which contribute to arteriosclerosis. The mice on the junk food diet exhibited thickening or hardening of cell membranes in the heart arteries. Likewise, when cultured human endothelial cells were exposed to an equivalent amount of LDL and oxidized LDL, similar results were observed. According to Heart News, LDLs come from greasy, fatty, fast foods like cheeseburgers, french fries, chips, pastries, and processed meats like sausage, pepperoni, and hot dogs. Oxidized LDLs arise from free radical damage within cells. The formation of this type of damaging cholesterol can be prevented by the consumption of plant foods containing antioxidants, which minimize free radical production. Finally, here's an interesting quote to remember. Junk is a moment on the lips, but a lifetime of risk for the arteries. The next article comes from National Public Radio and is entitled, The FDA Will Decide Whether 26 Ingredients Count as Fiber. Americans are woefully shortchanged on fiber in their diet. Junk foods and highly processed foods are notoriously low in dietary fiber. The recommended daily intake is 25 grams for women and 38 grams for men. Most people are way under that level, estimated at maybe 15 grams for women and 18 grams for men. You know, that's less than half what's recommended. 
From the Mayo Clinic, the benefits of fiber are numerous, including preventing and relieving constipation, maintaining healthy weight, regulating inflammation, lowering cholesterol intake, promoting healthy gut bacteria, and for diseases, lowering risk of diabetes, that is controlling blood sugar, heart disease, and some types of cancer. Now, where do you get natural fiber? Well, it only comes from plants. There is zero fiber in animal flesh. Now, here's some examples of uh, natural sources of fiber. Uh, you take a half a cup of cooked navy beans, there's 9.6 grams. A cup of baked acorn squash, there's 9 grams. Half a cup of cooked split peas, 8.1 grams. Uh, raspberries, 1 cup, 8 grams. Uh, an apple, 4.4 grams if it's a medium size. A uh, medium banana, 3.1 grams. Ah, look at chocolate. Interesting. Uh, two tablespoons of unsweetened cocoa powder has four grams of fiber. One cup of cooked broccoli, 5.1 grams. And one large russet potato, 4.8 grams. Looking at spaghetti, if you eat one cup of whole grain spaghetti, you'll get 5.9 grams. Even a snack like popcorn, if it's air popped, uh, three cups of that gives you three and a half grams of fiber. So, there are some sources for getting fiber in your diet. Now, for a woman to get the daily requisite of 25 grams, she would need to eat a half cup of cooked navy beans, one medium apple, one large russet potato, and one cup whole grain spaghetti. That's not out of the question, but most people don't eat that well. Almost by definition, a diet of highly or ultra-processed foods or a junk food diet suffers from an absence of fiber. That's because in making those types of foods, the fiber component is stripped out of the natural plant foods. Food manufacturers over the years have noted this issue. So in order to raise fiber levels, they sought out natural and synthetic fiber additives that were shelf-stable and would not interfere with the sensory delights of their products. That's the subject of the MPR article. It mentions such food additives as inulin, which comes from chicory and is classified as fructin. Then there's gum, acacia, bamboo fiber, and the hard-to-pronounce xylo-oligosaccharides, which are polymers of the sugar xylose. Here's a quote from Bonnie Liebman of the Consumer Group Center for Science in the Public Interest. Quote, the food industry has hijacked the advice to eat more fiber by putting isolated, highly processed fiber into what are essentially junk foods. End quote. She goes on to say, A much better way to get the recommended 25 to 38 grams of daily fiber is to eat more foods that are naturally rich in fiber, such as fruits, vegetables, beans, and whole grains. End quote. The FDA is evaluating isolated and synthetic fibers to determine if they provide any beneficial physiological effects. If that can't be demonstrated, then manufacturers will not be able to claim a fiber amount on nutrition fact labels. From Dr. David Ludwig of the Harvard School of Public Health, quote, highly processed snack bars typically contain combinations of processed starch and added sugar. 
They're low in vitamins and minerals. Just adding isolated fiber back in to these processed foods does not cover up for those nutritional deficiencies, end quote. The FDA in 2016 listed seven non-digestible carbohydrates as food additives that qualify as fiber nutrients. They are beta-glucan, psyllium. You may uh, be familiar with psyllium from Metamucil, a fiber supplement. Then there's cellulose, guar gum, pectin, which is a fruit fiber, locust bean gum, and hydroxypropyl methyl cellulose, uh, which is a thickener made from cellulose. Now, the FDA added eight more substances that they list as isolated or synthetic non-digestible carbohydrates. These include plant cell wall fibers, arabinoxylin, alginate, inulin and inulin-type fructans, high amylose starch, also known as resistant starch, galacto-oligosaccharides, polydextrose, and resistant maltodextrin or dextrin. As you can tell, this fiber business is complicated, and food manufacturers through their R&D divisions are doing everything possible to get fiber-type ingredients into their highly processed foods. What does that mean for us? It simply means that if you're someone who consumes a diet primarily of manufactured foods or junk foods or fast foods, then you're going to be taking in a variety of industrial ingredients to satisfy the daily fiber recommendations. Are these new ingredients bad for you? Who knows? Only time will tell. But one thing we do know is that the benefits of these new synthetic or isolated additives can never take the place of the fiber in whole plant foods, which also compact with many additional nutrients. Finally, I want to say a few things about one of the synthetic fiber substances mentioned earlier, polydextrose. You may have seen this ingredient listed on food labels. This substance is 100% man-made and doesn't exist in nature. When I worked as an analytical chemist in industry, I used to test polydextrose, so I know a few things about it. It's made by mixing dextrose, a sugar, with a mild to moderate acid under high heat and pressure. Sounds like a food? The polymer that forms polydextrose is not recognized in the body when it's consumed. That is, there are no enzymes to break it down. Therefore, it acts as an indigestible material, that is, a soluble fiber, and passes through the gut unchanged. That, unfortunately, is an example of what food manufacturers are putting in our foods. It doesn't get any more fake than that. The last article to review has to do with the wacky world of junk food fusions. From the BBC comes a piece entitled, The Bizarre World of Fast Food Fused with Snack Foods. This is not a new trend. It's been going on for a number of years now, but the trend is getting ramped up. From the article, Taco Bell in the UK introduced the Doritos Locos Taco with a shell made from a single huge Dorito. Not to be outdone, Pizza Hut created a calzone shaped like a Cheez-It cracker. KFC topped that with a fried chicken sandwich stuffed with Cheetos. From the article, quote, Processed foods are omnipresent the world over. 
whether it's a packet of crisps in the glove box or shopping centers brimming with takeaways. So maybe it's no surprise that creations like the Cheetos chicken sandwich are not limited to the United States. In Japan in 2015, Kit Kats found their way into a whipped cream and orange peel sandwich at First Kitchen a fast food chain. Nutella was used in dessert burgers at McDonald's in Italy in 2016. In late 2019, quote, McDonald's in the UK introduced its Galaxy Salted Caramel McFlurry using a well-known chocolate brand, end quote. Here's another excerpt from the same article, quote, Adam Chandler, author of Drive Through Dreams, a book that examines the link between fast food and American life, says, All of these bizarro crossover and mashup items might sound a bit dystopian, but for fast food chains, there are few things more effective than new products that are both somehow familiar and new at the same time. End quote. The BBC article points out that these gimmicky, Fast food creations target young consumers on social media to get those consumers into the restaurants. Further, quote, every time a snack junk hybrid food hits the market, it's usually for a limited period, but in that time, it typically sets social media aflame. For example, when KFC Premier doubled down a sandwich where the bread is replaced with slabs of fried chicken, the KFC website saw an increase in visitors by 29%. Marion Nestle, Professor Emerita of Nutrition, Food Studies, and Public Health at New York University says, quote, Health is not their primary concern. Their concern is being cool, having their peers think that they're daring and exciting. All their friends can see they've bought and eaten this really cool new thing, end quote. If one of their posts goes viral, the fast food company gets a very effective, cheap marketing boost. Jennifer Harris at the Rudd Center for Food Policy and Obesity called the mashup craze, quote, a race to the bottom. If one company is doing it and it's appealing to a group that you want to be your customers, then you have to do it. Otherwise, you'll lose them, end quote. Scouring the internet revealed other mashups not mentioned in this article. Most of them have come and gone. There was Nabisco Peeps Oreos, Sonic's Strawberry Custard Concrete with M&M's. By the way, that, that was a drink that had 2,060 calories, 89 grams of fat, and 219 grams of sugar. Then there's Dunkin' Donuts Peanut Butter Delight Croissant Donut. Carl's Jr. Hostess Ding Dong's Ice Cream Sandwich, Popeye's Chicken Waffle Tenders, Taco Bell's Waffle Taco, and Burger King's Mac and Cheetos. To me, it's a sad day in the fast food world when people are not satisfied with the conventional, unhealthy, ultra-processed foods found on the regular menus at fast food chains. But they need an extra dose of bad food to satisfy insane cravings. But this is the world we live in. Well, it's time to end this news episode. To all you food eaters out there in podcast land, I appreciate you taking the time to tune in. If you have a little bit more time, I'd greatly appreciate a review, good, bad, or indifferent, at the iTunes store. You can find all the episodes of Food Labels Revealed in their show notes at the hosting website called Podbean. That's at www.podbean.com or just by Googling Food Labels Revealed. 
If you have a question or comment on anything about food ingredients or this podcast or just want to say hello, drop me a line at foodlabelsrevealed at gmail.com. That's all one string, foodlabelsrevealed at gmail.com. I'm not sure about the topic for next month. Maybe a quiz show or an episode on hidden ingredients or the investigation of another fast food. Just stay tuned. Until later, always remember this. If you want to eat well and keep yourself healthy, eat food mainly from natural plants, not manufacturing plants. The outro music piece is a clip from Concerto for Four Box Cello in B Minor composed by David Heilowitz. Mm-hmm.